Welcome back, everyone, to the Newell News, the podcast where we take history a thousand day. I'm your host, Kamin Strong. Now, this week's episode is definitely less crazy. Today, we will try to return to some normalcy. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I'm definitely joking. What's American politics without some craziness? Am I right? So today, we will be going into President Biden's inaugural address and his first days of office. Man, those were some crazy first days. So, just as I always do in the new old news, I think what I need to do first is establish some sense of objective facts. First, I want to tell you kind of a rough outline of what happened because later, I will actually be getting guests on the show. So, in order to actually understand our discussion, in order to really be a part of the discussion, first you need to understand the basics. So, in the most concrete way I can, let's talk about it. In terms of the inaugural address, it was mainly centered around unity. He really wanted, Joseph Biden, of course, he wanted... He wanted everyone to be together. He didn't care if you were red or blue or whatever. He was pushing for people to be together. Now, whether you think that he will accomplish that is for you to decide. I'm just saying what he was pushing for. He said, It requires that most elusive of things in a democracy. Unity. Unity. So he acknowledges that unity is kind of hard to come by these days, but he urges people to kind of come together. And how does he do so? He kind of employs the historical perspectives of his ancestors. He he realizes that he's not president in, in unison, but he, he pays a nod to his predecessors. He says in one of his um, portions, he mentions the Emancipation Proclamation and how it brought people together and how Abraham Lincoln brought people together. So basically he's trying to acknowledge that, listen, people have been brought together for so many years and we have done it before. So who's not to say that we can't do it now? He made other historical references specifically to the Founding Fathers he brought in the we the people quote. Basically, he's he's just trying to establish a sense of patriotism. He's trying to bring in that sense of American liberty for people to really go behind a value, not just, you know, your ideals of the economy or whatever, but a value, an American value. That's what he tried to do. Now, again, whether you think that was effective, whether you think that was what he was supposed to do, whether you think... He didn't say enough about his actions. It's for you to decide. But anyways, this is the objective portion of the segment. So I quickly want to move on to his first days of office. Now, let me tell you, he was very, very, very active. Uh, he signed more, as we'll go into actually later in the statistics in our second segment, he signed more executive orders than really any president I ever heard of on the first day. He signed... 31 executive orders and it's only his first three days of office. So <laughs> let me tell you, that is a lot. Just to outline some of them, I'll go into them. So in terms of COVID response, he started a federal mandate that everyone has to wear masks. He said also that there will be a COVID-19 pandemic team similar to the uh, Ebola response team of the Barack Obama administration. He implemented a response coordinator who will be in charge of that. He also rejoined the World Health Organization, which President Trump left. And he actually kind of kicking Trump in the butt. He said that Anthony Fauci will be the uh, lead to the delegation of the United States. In terms of financial relief, he kind of helped with foreclosure. He paused student loan payments until September 30th. Uh, in terms of the environment, he rejoined the Paris Agreement, which we left or which we did not sign on in the 
Trump administration. He ended the significant pipeline which Trump was enabling by essentially taking away their permits. In terms of the human rights, he advocated for racial equality in the federal government. He said that US non-US citizens should be in the US census. In terms of immigration, he defended Dreamer, the Dreamer program. He put an end to the quote-unquote Muslim ban executive order that President Trump signed. Uh, he lowered ISIS arrest policy, basically. He made it less strict so that people are less inclined to get arrested. Yeah, so as you can see, I can keep reading these things, but essentially, oh, one more, actually, I want to tell you about one more thing, which is really a political statement, I think. He started an ethics executive order saying that people that want to go into federal government have to pledge to an ethics doctrine, quote, to uphold the independence of the Department of Justice. So yeah, I think that was a political statement more than anything. Um, I think a lot of these may have been political statements, but that's, again, for you to decide. Uh, maybe you'll decide in our discussion. And yes, it is time for our discussions, the time that many of you have been waiting for. I have given you the tools necessary to understand what we're talking about in the discussion, all the objective facts that you may need. Now, I just want you to sit back, relax, and hear me talk to, yes, my actual former AP U.S. history teachers, Mr. Christopher Howard and Mr. Joseph Paspa. Also, just a quick note that I did not mention in the beginning of this segment. When we talk about AP U.S. 1, that is basically pre-colonialism to about the mid-1800s, about the Civil War, then everything after the Civil War to modern times is referred to as APUS2. So just keep in mind of that and let's start, shall we? Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the New World News. Today, I got lucky, and somehow, I got my two history teachers from high school. Yes, my real history teachers, Mr. Christopher Howard and Joseph Paspa. Wow, that sounds weird saying your first names, but yes, hello, guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah, don't do that anymore. <laughs> no problem. Yeah, appreciate no it. Problem. Uh, so, I guess, for our viewers, if you can tell a few words about, you know, what you do in the high school, what have you been doing, what have you been running, things like that. So I guess I'll start with you, Mr. Howard. Oh, I appreciate that. I'm actually the AP US 1 history teacher, so I had Camille during his sophomore year. Um, but as uh, an instructor, I've been lucky enough to be teaching US 1 for all 14 years of my teaching career, uh, 11 years being the AP program. So we've been, uh, I've been really fortunate to be able to, to teach not only the best and hardest working students, but be able to go a lot deeper into the study of history. I have a political science background, um, got that at a, at a normal state school and history, government, law, and um, politics is just a, a big passion of mine. So just happy to be a part of this and I think this is gonna be a good discussion today. Um, so I have been the second part to uh, Mr. Howard. I've been the US two teacher uh, at uh, our school for about eight years now, I think. Eight. 10, something like that, eight years. Um, I've been teaching now for 
18 years? Wow. So I have taught everything the gamut of uh, US 1, US 2, uh, at one district, what I'll call US 1 and a half, because it was somewhere in between the two. Civics, world, I've batted the cycle. I've been all over the place, but um, but have, as Mr. Howard said, been able to, to really enjoy that uh, AP stuff for, right. for close to a decade now. All right, that sounds good. So as I told you guys earlier, uh, today we'll be discussing the inaugural address and Joe Biden's first few days of office. You know, how did it go? And more importantly, how do we see it going in the future? How could we learn from it? How could we learn from the past, from history? Uh, you guys always in my classes taught me to not just view history in the era of which you study, but to connect the dots, to see how it all comes together. So... I think the best way to do that is to pose a question for you guys. Uh, so let me start with that. So uh, as we know, a lot of Joe Biden's inaugural address was centered around unity, right? He called for the people to come together as one uh, among these troubling times. So how important do you think unity is for a president to establish firmly and early? Um, uh, sure, Mr. Howard. Want me to go first? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's you know, I was able to, to watch the address in its entirety. And, you know, I'm first just off going to, and it's not going to be a disclaimer, but I think we're all living in, in quite historic times. Now, as a history teacher, I know that could be a little bit off-putting because, according to us, all times are historic. Um, but to see what our country has gone through, um, not only in the past four years, because again, this isn't a political statement, but the last 12, 16 years, the transition um, of our country post 9-11 into, into its, its current status, um, you know, to be able to watch the last four administrations really work um, since 9-11, and then we're going to see, you know, Joe Biden um, take his administration and, and hit the ground running. You know, I think it's always important. I, I think the inaugural address and, and his message of, of, of unity was needed at a time. But I also think that um, in its current, in the current environment, those were, were just words at this point, And we're going to have to see some action. Um, you know, it, it's always good to, to relay your message, mm -hmm. what you want to try to accomplish. Um, you know, not so much his plans were discussed in the address. But more of, of of that kind of like that feeling, that that emotion that listen we, we need to kind of move on and this is how we're gonna do it. Um, I think it's gonna be you know personally for my my own I think you know it, it's definitely very important for for President Biden to to hit the ground running in regards to that trying to repair the political relationships in Washington because of the uh, the divisiveness that we see down there. Um, now can a speech do that? You know, I think everybody, you know, in, in this in this room right now knows that it you know, words are, are are important, but they're they're really not the the end game, and it's it's going to take more than words to get us back on track for that. And I'll just kind of hand it off to to Mr. Pass on that. Oh yeah, I'm going to kind of piggyback on something you said there, where you said that uh, this is just words and there weren't really plans. And I agree with you, but I also feel like uh, that's the point of the inaugural address. You're not outlining like, here's what I'm gonna do. You've done that for the last year and a half while you were campaigning, uh, and you're gonna do that for the next four years. This is the day to try to pull everyone together and to get, you know, we were talking a little bit before, um, before the, the, the podcast started about, um, uh, you know, how the, the inaugural speech is kind of a, a product of more modern times that, that the modern more modern presidents have wanted to try to hit the you know hit it out of the park right out of the gate with with the inaugural dress and inspire people and I think um, I think that's what he was trying to do here and it's hard to say when you're watching it you know we, we've said this in class it's hard to really analyze your own history as you're living it um, I was sitting there watching it 
and I found personally the most inspiring words that he was saying were the ones he was quoting from previous presidents, where there was not a line, there wasn't the ask not what your country can do for you, there wasn't the, you know, the city on the hill, uh, there wasn't one of these moments, the only thing we have to fear that, that grabbed me, but we also have to see what's going to come of that of the administration, and if the words that he said here are going to reflect his administration, and are we going to be uh, inspired by that? So getting back to the original question, I think unity is important, very important to try to establish early, but echoing what Mr. Uh, Howard is saying is, um, I really think it's very difficult right now. I feel that um, in, in 20, 30, 40 years ago, when we didn't have the, when not every person with a computer or phone had a voice to keep fanning the flames of that divisiveness, um, I think it was a little easier to do. And so it's interesting to watch presidents now try to pull everyone together when everything now is tit for tat going back 30 plus years. So it, it, it's important. We've seen presidents do very well, be successful without doing it. It'll be interesting to see if we can do it um, in this four years or will, you know, will it be down the road, right? We've, we've had more divisive times than this. We just need the right guy or woman at the right time. And I don't know, I hope Biden's it, but I don't know if he is yet. And when it, and I think when it comes to the address, oh, I'm sorry, Camille, I just want, want to kind of jump in as well. Uh, Mr. Passo and I discussed a, a little bit about this in, in preparation for this as well. And, you know, over our studies, you know, of all of the inaugural addresses there, you know, we kind of, there's more than just two types, but the ones that, that really uh, Mr. Passo and I bounced around about was the ones that really outlined policy and outlined what's going to happen and what, what they're going to do. And then there's these other ceremonial speeches that are there to light the fire and inspire. Um, you know, a lot in, in, in the U.S. one days, you know, we're, we're thinking more about the policy ones where, you know, the position of the president is still being felt out, you know, and, and a lot of those early presidents really used that, that pulpit, that, that soapbox to tell America, this is what we're going to do, and this is how we're going to do it. And then as we, we saw that, you know, reputation, politics, and, and optics was important, you know, the presidents that were very good orators, very passionate speakers, used that platform at that time to, I think, what, you know, President Biden did was to try to get the, the, the country behind him, or at least outline the moral compass that he was going to try to follow. Um, you know, and again, relating back, I'm not sure if this is going to relate to anything that we ask later. Um, it was actually the one quote that I discussed before the podcast as well. You know, I loved that he reached back, you know, that he reached back and, and pulled some of the greatest mm -hmm. phrases and some of the greatest yeah. quotes from, from some of our previous presidents. And the one that a lot of commentators thought that they were going to pull back, I thought he was going to pull back as well, was um, Thomas Jefferson's, we are all Federalists, we are all Republicans. And, and you know, to look back in history and see the, the, the start of political parties and the country dividing into two political spheres, um, Jefferson spent the majority of his speech telling everybody what's going to happen, but then had to hit that moral thread, that, that cord that said, hey, listen, we know right now it seems to be dividing and it seems to be a divisive environment, but right now for the betterment of the country, we are all Federalists, we are all Republicans. And, you know, for somebody to relate something from the, the Revolution of 1800, as Jefferson called it, to the inauguration read in 2021, by the, the, the 46th president, um, you know, it, it, it means a lot more than I think people um, really understand. Yeah, I definitely think so. Uh, so hearing all your, uh, both of your discussions about the importance of the inaugural address, I guess most people kind of take it for granted, seeing it as maybe a formality. But the way that I see it, most importantly, is a way to establish first your policy, but also first and foremost, inspire the people. Because I feel like on your first day of office, you have to hit the ground running. Uh, I think as Mr. Paspa said, you really have to just go for it, go for what you believe in. 
So I think that one of the most important qualities that a president can kind of establish early on is his ability to draw on the people, for people to listen to him, for people to kind of go behind what he believes in. So with that, I want to pose the question, um, how, um, what are some important qualities that you think somebody should establish early in the presidency? And what are some examples of presidents that really kind of drew in the people, so to speak? Ooh. Mr. Rasser, you want to start? I, I got a, a couple that I got. But. Yeah, sure. Um, so I think, number one, you need, to, um, you need to be a great communicator. Right? You need to um, be someone who can connect with people, someone who can um, make people feel like they're being heard and that you understand them. Okay? Uh, and there's been a number of presidents who... Uh, notably have done that. Uh, Ronald Reagan, I mean, Ronald Reagan was known as the great communicator. Um, and uh, and I remember, we talked about this in, in our class, I was six when I remember watching Ronald Reagan speak on TV. And his speeches, even though I was six and I didn't understand anything about politics, I didn't know anything, but his speeches resonated with me as a six-year-old. Um, I remember sitting down watching him when I was six years old and being moved by what he was saying. So to have a president who can speak to older Americans, who can speak to um, you know, middle-aged Americans, and who can resonate with a six-year-old is important. And, and you know, FDR did the same thing. FDR specifically, when he was setting up his fireside mm -hmm. chat specifically, wanted them to be simplistic enough that a, a someone with a fifth grade education could understand him talking about policy. So communication is a huge part of that. Um, and, and people, when they understand you, they feel understood as well. And I think that's a really, really important quality. Um, another one is also, and this is where I think Biden is really going to shine, um, one of them is just knowing how to navigate Washington, knowing how to work your way through the politics, whether it, depending, it, it depends on your style, but I always look at someone like a Lyndon Johnson, you know, from a, from a congressional record, a Lyndon Johnson and a, uh, Joe Biden have uh, a whole career, decades of experience in, um, in Congress. They were both picked as vice presidents of much younger and inexperienced presidents to provide that balance for them and to help that president navigate Washington. And so while Lyndon Johnson was more of an arm twister, he hammered things through, but he knew who he could go to talk to and who he couldn't and who owed him favors. And, and that got stuff done and got some really, really important stuff done and civil rights uh, bills passed and stuff like that. And, you know, Joe Biden doesn't have that same kind of bully-esque quality that Lyndon Johnson had, but there's something to be said about having a 40-year career in Washington and be able to use that knowledge to get something done. Great, great. I definitely think it's really important to kind of have the experience. Uh, maybe that our last president didn't have the uh, ability to kind of have the sense of, to know what you're doing people are going to believe that you know you know what you're doing because you have the experience to do everything i guess in a more uh correct not a correct but a more uh traditional way that they expect from you so um mr howard i'd like to pose the same question to you sure so there, there's a bunch of different adjectives running around my head but what i've recognized is one of my weaknesses but the weaknesses of, of some of the most effective presidents uh preparation um Preparation and being steadfast in your vision. Um, you know, to, to, to walk into the most crucial position um, in our country, you know, and, and not have a plan is, is just setting up for disaster. And, you know, if you can look back at any previous administration, dating back from the beginning, um, you know, the, the more chaotic times of our history... Are, are when presidents came in um, either without a plan or changed their ideas rather quickly. Now, early in the, in the 
in, in our history. I think, you know, the stakes aren't as high um, to a certain point, you know, beyond maybe getting your butt kicked uh, by a foreign country. But now that that isn't really too much a, a worry, you know, Washington comes in and has to build the government and, and you know, the, the the position of the presidency is, is pretty pretty esteemed enough where everybody that runs for it is prepared for the position. And then you get to an Andrew Jackson who, you know, really wasn't known for his preparation, really wasn't known for his logical thinking and was just very impulsive. And you saw that this created chaos. Um, you know, James Buchanan, um, you know, again, some of, I don't want to call them the worst ranked presidents, but some of these presidents who come in and didn't really prepare for the job or prepare to set up their vision really have failed in the long run. And history has, has not looked well on them. Um, you know, and again, I'm not even going to talk about modern administrations because I think every president is really de uh, dealt a, a hand of cards and they have to play those cards no matter what the situation. They can't just throw them back in the pile and take the cards they want. Um, but I know that preparation, if well prepared, um, I think you will see a more effective um, execution of, of the, the vision. Um, and then the steadfastness, the, the, the sticking to your guns per se, um, when you're challenged, when, you know, I forgot who said it, you know, everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face, right? And again, a little bit of a, a, a weird thing to throw in here, but, you know, there's, there's figurative punches being thrown at all times in the current political environment, um, from domestic issues to foreign issues to inter-party related issues. Um, the president has their hands full these days. So being steadfast in your vision and, and being able to create one through your preparation, through building the right team, I think those are the really important ones um, right off the bat. You know, and, and just to piggyback on what Mr. Paso was saying, the, the communicating to the people. You know, we're, we're growing up now in a world where at the, at the touch of a, a button, we get everything we could ever want information-wise. If you want to, you know, connect with the soul of your people, if you want to connect with the minds and the hearts of your, your populace, the people who you are trying to lead, if you choose not to use the, 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 the modern uh, tools at your disposal, that, that is, you're just waiting for somebody else to fill that void. And I think, uh, again, wow, this relates back to, again, what you were saying as well before, Mr. Passo, about, you know, now the Internet is so full of a, a cacophony of voices. Um, I, I do truly think that, that the country's not looking just for one voice, but we're looking for a unified voice. So being able to communicate is, uh, I think, uh, of all the ones we mentioned, I think that's the most significant because especially in today's age, um, that's how you get your, your message across. Right. So uh, Joe Biden actually has been historically um, pretty poor in terms of communication. So if we're judging on, you know, his um, he had a stuttering problem ever since he was a kid uh, that significantly went down. But, you know, he still struggles on a few words. He doesn't sound as eloquent as, you know, uh, the Ronald Reagan, who was an actor, you know, he was uh, very able to inspire the people, Roosevelt, who used his rhetoric in a very uh, concise and easy to understand way. So how would you say he can overcome that? How, he, how would you say, because you said communication is very important. So how would you say he can kind of look past that or try to improve his communication in ways that, you know, don't just rely on communication in the traditional sense? I guess I'll start with Mr. Paspa this time. Uh, well, uh, when I say communication, um, yes, eloquence and being able to, to speak beautifully is important, but your message is also important. Okay, so you, we had someone like Obama, who was um, very eloquent, very polished, a great public speaker, and got his message across. And you had, you know, millions of people around the country who thought he was a pariah. You also had on the flip side, a George Bush, who was not an eloquent, polished speaker, um, who had this kind of, but had this kind of awe shucks, folksy quality about him that millions of people who, who hated Obama loved George Bush. 
So I really think it, it matters more your message and it, it means like you need to be genuine. You need to be who you are. So if, if Joe Biden comes out and he's trying to be Obama, it's not going to work. But if he's Joe Biden, who's a much more folksy, much more tied to the blue collar kind of thing, and just is himself, that's still effective communication. I don't think anyone would call Donald Trump eloquent, but he was one of the most effective uh, at communicating with his base in the last 40, 50 years, at least. You know, I, I would say, argu- yeah, I would say arguably, you know, we'd have to go back to Reagan to find someone on par with able to communicate to his base. Uh, and, and I wouldn't, any other time put them in the same sentence <laughs> uh yeah so mr howard maybe you can pull some us1 example yeah i mean i think mr passa nailed a, a, a lot of i mean those those are the main points um you know and i love that you you know we kind of use the the genuine and being who you are i think right now you know i think biden has a lot to deal with because you know he has to put out some fires um, and I'm not saying that all the fires were lit by the previous administration, but the the rhetoric in the country right now is so inflammatory that there's not a lot of room for somebody like him to officiate, if, if you know what I mean, like actively get involved and try to split, you know, send the two sides to the corner of the room, let them get a timeout for 10 minutes and come back, right? Yeah, yeah. So that that will be one of the hindrances I think the Biden administration has very very much off the bat. But I, I you know, think back to my dad, you know, who was a, a small small town local politician. But I, I think I get his um, his love of service from from somebody like him. Like when people ask, like, why do you want to be a politician? And it's always a negative answer. I I, I always have, you know, a, a real positive reaction to that because it's just, it's like no, it's 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 to serve. I think if, if Biden shows through his words that he's a genuine person trying right now to navigate through probably one of the biggest crises in the modern era um, that we've we've been dealing with in a century and a half here in the country, um, he, he's going to not make more fans, but I think he's going to start to, to quiet a little bit of the, the fires out there. Um, trying to be somebody you're not. I think is a, a trap that we all could fall into in any leadership position. Um, as somebody who's, you know, worked with, with students, you know, for, for almost, you know, what is it, you know, 14, 14 and a half years of my life, um, you see when students try to be something they're not. And it's not as a negative, but it's as, you know, your potentials to go this way, try to go this way um, while embracing everything else around you, but, but try not to be somebody you're not because you have to be true to yourself. I think that's, you know, very corny advice to just kind of throw out there. It sounds like a Hallmark card. But um, I think that's the the best way Biden right now can communicate, not these long-winded speeches that Obama could have. Um, If you've kept up with a couple of his press conferences, I think he just had his main, uh, his first one today. Um, I didn't get a chance to roll the whole tape. Um, But right now, I think his press secretary is doing a fairly good job. Um, I, th- I think the press has given them a little bit of a pass. I think they're in a little bit of a honeymoon period right now. Um, but I think if, if Biden can just come out and be true to what's going on, that's the big thing. You know, don't don't lie. Don't fabricate. Don't don't say everything's OK when the house is in fire, you know, on fire. Um, yeah. And and just continue to be truthful, true to himself. And then, you know, I think things will start to fall and the fog will lift a little for him to get things done. Yeah, I definitely think that one of the main concerns that voters had was, uh, am I voting for Biden? Am I voting for his policies or am I voting for Obama? But I definitely think that if he employs your uh, advice of how do I kind of establish my own voice? How do I show that? No, I'm not just Obama's vice president. I am my own president. I'm going to impose my own actions. So I think that's really important. but yeah, I think that if he follows our advice, uh, if I can create a tallied list for him, I'm sure he's not going <laughs> to listen to this. But um, we said, be who you are. We said, uh, be a good communicator. Yeah. Don't worry about that starter, Joe. Uh, we said, I don't know well, what just, we said. I think we said a lot of different genuine. things. But hopefully you know, it's, the it's, viewers... 
you know, a lot of people think yeah. that politicians are, are fake and a facade, and there's plenty of evidence, right, that we've yeah. all seen that, that shows that. I think right now we, we just need, how, how do I say, we need quiet. And I'm not saying we need regular, we need boring, we, right. we yeah. just need quiet. We need somebody right now, just because of COVID, the economy, things happening, we just need mm -hmm. somebody that shows up for 20 minutes, says, this is what's going on. Do you have any questions? I'll answer them. And then leaves and gets back to work. And again, that's not a, a, a dig at the previous administration. It's not. It's just right now, I think that's that's what's needed. Um, it's amazing, though, that, you know, and Camille, you brought up a good point about I don't want to be Obama 2.0, you know, I'm paraphrasing. But that was so very common back in the U.S. one days, you know, in the early American history where either the secretary of state or the vice president position was basically a training wheels to become president. And now, you know, as soon as we, we, we get about 80, 80 years, a couple presidents into our, our, our history, you know, you're right. Now it's almost a little bit of a funk, right? It's kind of like a smell that comes along with you that you don't want people judging you on. You know, I'm, I'm not going to be Obama, but like Jackson... Uh, you know, basically put Van Buren in after him, you know, it went Washington to Adams, Adams to Jefferson, Jefferson to Madison, Madison to Monroe, they were all each other's in each other's cabinet or each other's vice president, you know, so yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's kind of, that's a good point that you brought up though. And it's, it's interesting. And again, I would smile at this Paso would frown, but it would be cool if we get a little bit back to those US one days so I can be a little bit more relevant, but it's okay. <laughs> More yeah, bridges, bridges and canals. So they say. A little inside <laughs> joke. <laughs> no, but I definitely, I definitely yes. like the point you brought up about a kind mm -hmm. of return to normalcy. I think that was a U.S. two term too. Um, Harding, I think, said that. If I'm correct, uh, I think that's definitely true, um, especially in these, you know, unprecedented times, so to speak, in these times where everyone doesn't really know what to do. In these times where everyone's, you know, either left or right, blue or red. I think that definitely we need a little boring joe joe meaning joe biden not joe Passport. but maybe that's maybe you, that's the the we're uh, all federalists we're all republican maybe it's the, right biden said we're not blue and we're not red um yeah he said oh, we're close it was yeah, close, yeah, he it did was close. all right good stuff <laughs> yeah so um so hopefully he listens to our inaugural address <laughs> advice but yeah, probably not. But in any case, I think that it also be important to study mm -hmm. his first days because sure, he might have hit the ground running. He may have, let's just say for the sake of argument that he did bring all the people, everyone's on his side, but now everyone's watching, uh, as Mr. Howard said, for him to do actual action, for him to uh, instigate change. So, I mean, we saw what change he did on the first day. Uh, he passed multiple executive orders kind of uh, replacing what the previous administration mm -hmm. has done. Uh, so w would you guys, from the historical perspective, consider this a hectic day for American politics? And how does it compare in relation to other, you know, first days of office? Who do you, who do you want to tackle this? <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry. There's two of you. Hey, you Mr. Pasco, you know. Oh, my God. Look at those oh, notes. notes. All right. So um, <laughs> he has notes. I guess he's ready. I'll say this. Oh, I tried and I couldn't come up with a comprehensive list of executive orders signed in the first day to, to make a comparison. Okay. Um, so I just, I looked through executive orders by administration and, and averaged them out by year. Okay. So we're looking at Joe Biden and we're saying, this is a, a we're in a time of crisis, right? We, we, there's a lot going on. Um, is it the worst we've ever been in? Absolutely not. Um, but it's far from the best. There's a lot going on. Uh, so I looked at other presidents who come in during times of great change or of crisis and looked at how many executive orders they signed by year. And so we look at someone like Teddy Roosevelt, who's really ushering in the um, a, a new era in America and a new era of politics. He averaged 145 executive orders a year. We look at Woodrow Wilson. Uh, who is dealing with the last pan last major worldwide pandemic and is dealing with World War One? is dealing with uh, the Red Scare here at home, dealing with economic issues. It's part of the progressive era. He averaged 255 a year. FDR averaged 307 a year. He signed over 3,000 executive orders. Now we look at FDR, signs over 3,000 executive orders, 307 per year. 
How many did he do on his first day? Two. All right. He did 30 in his first month, which is less than Biden did on his first day. So, yes, I would say historically, without breaking this down um, by everybody's first day, simply because I couldn't find it, um, he had a crazy first day. But I also feel like this is a time period we said things are hectic, things are crazy. Um, and the last, at least the last year of Trump's presidency, um, the, the widespread criticism of him is he wasn't doing enough. He wasn't doing anything. He was sitting on his hands. He was letting things happen. So I also think mm -hmm. in, you know, you, you're talking about, uh, you were talking about some of the qualities you needed to display earlier in a previous question, um, that, that you need to display on day one, and I think leadership, confidence, uh, and action right now is one of them. So did these all need to be signed on one on day one? Probably not. A lot of them are being signed, uh, a lot of things being signed as well are undoing unpopular things that Trump did. So it's not necessarily that he's forging his own path with executive orders day one, He's undoing the things he disagreed with from the previous president. And I think that's important to note as well. If he was continuing on this clip, then maybe we have a conversation about is he abusing his power? But hammering out this many on day one, if he pulls it back, he's really not going to be far off. And, and he might be substantially lower than a lot of other modern president. And we look at, uh, getting back to my numbers, Reagan had 48 a year, relatively low, you know, from the stretch from about Reagan through Obama, they were fairly low, uh, numbers for the modern presidency. And I think he'll probably settle in around there. Trump was the highest since Carter. Carter was going through some serious tough times as well. He was signing 80 a year. Trump signed 55 a year. So, uh, on a, again, this is on average. Uh, so, I think we'll see Biden settle down a little bit here. But, yes, it certainly was a very busy first few days. Thank you. Thank you for the history teacher pulling in the statistics. Can we get a round of applause I even, for that? I even got the, the US-1 statistics for you, Mr. Howard. <laughs> Oh, that's, and again, that's why I was so psyched to, to be on this today because I got to knew I was definitely going to learn something. And, you know, I, I'm going to oof. And again, we were so statistical and, and fact driven on that. Um, I'm just going to absolutely blow that up and go the other direction right. here. But, you know, the whole the whole concept of the executive order as well is is such a, uh, you know, it's not one that the Constitution was like adequately prepared for. And it is one that I think um, on another day and another podcast around a campfire, uh, you know, we, we could talk about the executive order in itself and go for hours. Um, but, you know, and, and again, please correct me if I'm wrong, um, you know, Mr. Pastor, or even Camille as well. You know, executive orders, usually their numbers increase when there's a lot of stalemating going on in Congress, whether the party in power, um, you know, doesn't have the White House, but has Congress. So, you know, to see numbers rise and fall, I understand. You know, right now we're sitting there with, um, you know, the tie break in the Senate, uh, the House in hand, and the White House being an all-democratic control. Yeah, it, it would seem weird, um, but not out of the blue after all we've been through for, for President Biden to continue on that streak, like Mr. Pass was said. Um, but here's, here's something that, you know, I don't know if I'm a purist. I don't even know what I am these days, y'all, um, to be honest with you. But what, what I like hearing, <laughs> but what I like hearing is both sides are, are, are calling out that we have to stop governing by executive order. Um, and, and I don't know if we want to take the, the, the subject matter there. Um, but for, for, you know, the, the, the Democrats to attack certain institutions, um, back when they were in the majority, you know, a, a decade and a half, two decades ago, to the Republicans returning the favor over the last few years, and now we're back in Democratic control. This tit-for-tat um, really 
basically degrading the, the institutions of our Congress, I think we're going to see more executive orders because of this. Because again, both parties have like a, a eroded our institutions to the fact that this is almost the only way presidents can get things done. And for a government teacher, for, for somebody who loves the Constitution, um, and again, knows that it needs to adapt and know it needs to, 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 to adjust, um, it, it doesn't matter who's giving out the executive orders, that whole concept is, is I think, very dangerous um, because, again, it doesn't follow our rules of democracy. It doesn't follow our rules of voting. It doesn't get, you know, two or three of our branches involved in what the separation of powers allows. So um, I, I love the stats, though. Like, for real, I had no idea. Like, I thought the executive action um, was was more of a more modern. I didn't know it reached yeah. all the way back. So I am now feeling very inadequate about my own teaching skills. Um, but also, well, you know. To cut you off for a second, just so you know, you didn't, mm -hmm. you're the U.S. one guy. You didn't need to know it. Lincoln, <laughs> Lincoln had 48 a year. The next close behind him—that's insane. The next I... close behind him was Pierce at thirty-five, and then the next closest was Polk at eighteen a year. Most of these guys—the most successful. Most present. of these guys had like single digits, so it, it wasn't really even something that was factored in in U.S. one levels. And, and for those yeah. of you who are listening, who who forget your U.S. one versus U.S. two, we keep talking about it because that's our world. That's how we frame everything. Uh, we generally will say U.S. 2 is 1900 to the present, and U.S. 1 is pre-1900. Uh, pre Thank you. Yeah, we probably should have said it at the beginning. I apologize. <laughs> that was great. But, but again, just to, to circle back to the question and, and be done with it so we can move on, um, you know, I think it was 17 the first day. It was another 8 Camille um, in, in his first week. I think he's up at 25. Um I hope he does slow down because, like I said, I think this is a, a very dangerous way to govern at this point. I think we need to get the separation of powers, but also the the compromise back in Washington and how that can be accomplished. You know, again, a topic for another podcast. Um, but yes, I think it's a, a little bit of a hectic day, but a lot of these um, were COVID driven. You know, hopefully the next president doesn't have to deal with COVID. Um, and some of them were... Um, I don't want to say economy driven, but a couple of them, you know, had had some issues with that as well. So um, hopefully this starts to become a little bit less of the past, but we'll we'll see in, in the year what his average might might look like. Uh, I'm, I'm really sorry. Yes. I have to fact to check myself really quick. Um, my modern presidents, I was going by year. The uh, the U.S. one presidents are total. So Lincoln had 48 total through the, the entire Civil War and uh, and Biden did 40 day one. So, yes, like Mr. Yeah. Howard said, this is something that's ramped up over the years substantially. And I, and I think it's because our earlier presidents did not want to push the Constitution. You know, Lincoln said, I need to tear holes in it in order to repair it later. But, you know, you're right. Now it's, it's becoming like, you know, what do you want with breakfast? Oh, oh. you're here's some executive actions, you know what I mean? Like here's some, some executive, uh, you know, messages or executive agreements, um, you know, that we're, we're, uh, we're talking about. So executive orders, it's, we're teetering. And like I said, I'm kind of like, that's why I want to call myself a purist. I don't care who, what party, what person. I just want it to stop. <laughs> I don't, I don't, whoever it benefits, we, we, we need to go back to, having the, the, the branches of government functioning the way they're supposed to and, and people working together. But I'm going to stay off that soapbox. Go ahead. Camille, take it away. No, I, I, I mean, I definitely agree with you guys. I think that the whole idea of the executive order here was mostly as a political statement, I think, above all else. Uh, if you look at some of the executive orders he signed, uh, one of the ones that he signed was the um, entering back into the World Health Organization, which Trump has significantly uh, bashed and he actually put uh, Anthony Fauci as his head for the uh, ambassador there so you can see the kind of you know clashing between uh, Trump and Biden uh, a couple more he uh, took down the previous executive order on the uh, quote-unquote Muslim ban that was imposed during the Trump presidency uh, of the majority Muslim nations so I think that 
yeah, I, I definitely think that it is dangerous um, expressing this level of, I think, bipartisanship here uh, by President Biden. Um, I definitely think that he could tone it down, especially because I don't think, as we said before, he's that fiery type of personality. I don't think that he's really that guy. He's not like that Lyndon B. Johnson, as Mr. Paspo said, to kind of hammer down uh, to kind of, you know, be that imposing figure. So I really think that uh, I think we're all in agreement here that he probably shouldn't be so, you know, aggressive, so uh, anti-Trump, uh, I would say, so to speak. Um, so I guess uh, kind of tying in with that, um, I guess we can also talk about the uh, transition of power. Uh, do you think that it was a smooth transition of power? I mean, we kind of talked about it a little bit before, but if you can elaborate more on if you think that he did an effective job of kind of saying, okay, Trump, um, I'm going to take on for you now. I'm going to, you know, uh, say, okay, you did a good job, but now it's, it's my turn. Uh, I guess I'll start with Mr. Howard. I, I think there's like a, yeah, I, I, I think there's a ceremonial transition of power and then there's a, re, like the reality of the situation. You know, many people didn't know, um, the amount of, um, logistics that are involved when a administration is ending and a new one's beginning. So um, I don't know if this is going to be kind of a joke, but the fact that it just got transitioned, I think literally everybody's just okay. Um, yes, will it be put us behind the eight ball on a couple significant issues? Um, similar, I mean, not similar, but, you know, for example, the COVID um, pandemic, um, our economy, could we maybe be a few steps ahead in the process of trying to figure out how this administration wants to handle it? Yes. Um, but I think it's one of those, the power transitioned, we're going to be okay. Um, and, and then just kind of go from there. That, and, and just the last point, I hope it doesn't put us on too much of a side tangent, but that's why like these conspiracy theories, that, that's what really what is very damaging. When, when people started to say that the transition of power was not going to happen, um, that that's when I think the rhetoric became vitriol, and I think that's when the 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 thermometer went just sky high, and 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 it didn't. And the thing is, we all lose in that situation. Um, so that's my on transition of power, Mister Passel. Please take over. Um, I, and I got to agree with you. I think the the fact that nothing happened means yes. It, it went fine. Um, would you like to see a scenario where both of them are up there and shaking hands and smiling at each other and pretending like nothing's wrong? Um, sure. But since November, we've been waiting for the worst. And just a few weeks ago, we saw as close to the worst as you possibly could with, with the storming of uh, the Capitol. So I think we all expected substantially worse and at the end of the day trump left the white house when he was supposed to nothing happened at the ceremony um he didn't attend the ceremony but do we really care does it really mean anything you know we we saw we saw every other living president sitting up there getting along laughing joking and I think that says to us that, yes, our system's broken right now. And yes, there's a lot of misguided people on both sides pushing the conspiracies and pushing the vitriol and fanning the flames of this stuff. But I think it is what we saw on Inauguration Day tells us it's not as broken as we feared it might be and that we're going to move forward and that cooler heads are going to prevail and common sense is going to come back to the degree that it was there prior. And I, I think we're going to see things uh, settle down. Um, who knows? Articles of impeachment were delivered today and who knows how that's going to shake out and who knows what's going to, and I don't want to take us on a tangent either, but that, but um, the, the physical transition, everything was fine. I think we were all sitting there holding our breath until exactly noon. Not that necessarily it was like a, oh, thank God he's gone type thing. For some it was, 
but I think we were all like, oh, God, when's when's the bad thing going to happen? And then we were just like, oh. Oh, okay. So so now Garth Brooks is singing and we're okay? Everything's all right now? Um, and, and we moved on. And we're like, oh, okay. And, and I think that's important. That shows us, like I said, it's not as broken as we feared it might be. So I guess then the key rests in public perception because I think that even though things may be good in the, you know, as you said, in, in the uh, logistical sense, I think that the main problem here let, rests in that people think that it's not good. People think that something is about to happen. People have a lot of fear that, uh, you know, something like the storming of the Capitol may happen again. Uh, so I guess the last question I'll pose to you instead uh, is how do we kind of unify the nation for one, but how do we kind of calm everyone down? How do we kind of say, hey, listen, it might have been really bad. And I know some of you love the previous administration. Some of you hate him. Some of you love the new administration. Some of you hate him. But how do we kind of get everyone together and say, listen, we're going to be all right. Just stay inside, wear your masks and breathe a little bit, uh, Mr. <laughs> Howard. Oh, I get to. Well, listen, I hope you send this off to the government so maybe we can all get recruited. <laughs> Um, you know, and I'll just first say, you know, if we all had these answers, um, we'd be in a, a much more important place. But I, I really can't actually think of a more important place um, than being in the classroom during this time. Mm -hmm. Because I think one of the, the and again, it's, it's one of those phrases that keeps being repeated. I think there's a lot more that unites us than divides us. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, you know, and you kind of said it just there in your, your intro there, Camille, you know, love and hate. Um yeah, these are people trying to do a job as they see fit. The best way we can fix any situation is getting involved with it. Um, instead of just going online and, and, and spouting off um, conspiracy theories or going online and, and spouting off hatred and vitriol and, and contempt for your, your neighbor, you know, getting involved with your community and, and starting small and moving up is, is one way we can all do that. Um, you know, that that's my, like, let's go sing Kumbaya and... and in, in a backyard. And, and that's, that's my response, but I do truly feel that way. And I think as a teacher, you know, I, I currently teach a, a law course, a street law course and a government course, as well as AP one, you know, I, I tried my best to, to have students realize that they're in a safe environment to be able to talk to each other. And hopefully your generation Camille, um, will be able to have the difficult conversations without them getting personal. Um, but you know, it's something we all need to work at. Now, my, my realistic government answer um, is to, to get rid of money out of politics, because instead of listening to people, um, a lot of our, our leaders are listening to, to their pocketbooks and their wallets and, and what they need to run a, their reelection. Um, I, I think money in politics right now is a very, very big danger. I also think gerrymandering is a very, very big danger. But those are two massive topics. Maybe I should have just stung, uh, stuck with the kumbaya. Um, <laughs> But I think right now our system has a little bit of graft and corruption. And I think with the internet, with with everything being at everybody's fingertips, um, that public perception you were talking about as well, Camille, mm -hmm. it's a very fragile thing. And I don't think either side is really handling it as the fragile little egg it is. And, you know, we're using it to, to hurt each other. So I, th I think that's where we, we kind of need to stop. And we got to kind of not hit the reset button. Whew, but we really need to figure out how to bring the government back to we the people instead of we the check writer. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely uh, agree with that point, uh, Mr. Paspa. I'll, I'll let you, let you go. Oh, well, I think uh, I'm going to go in a different direction than Mr. Howard, and I don't disagree with everything that uh, or anything that he said. Really, everything that he said is key. Uh, I think if we're looking right now, uh, because I do, I, I, I really agree, and it is something I, uh, I reiterate as well with my students, is you have to get involved. You're, the, you're sitting there watching everything happening, and you have opinions that every day are invalidated by adults who tell you you don't know what you're talking about. Well, the adults are the ones making the mess. And so you're watching the mess. You need to get involved and fix the mess that we've all created and that our parents have created and that their parents have created. 
Um, but I think for right now, to to immediately smooth it over, I think you need time and you need leadership. Right? Time time heals all wounds. Um, and right now, everything's way too raw. You give it a few months of a steady ship, things are going to calm back down. You give it a year or two of a steady ship, things will calm back down a little bit. Uh, but you're going to need the leaders who can work together. You know, I, I really wish for Biden's sake that um, McCain was still alive and in the Senate because that would have been something where we could have forged major bridges between the parties and worked on something. So we're going to need leaders who emerge. We're going to need leaders who aren't just slinging the mud back and forth. We're going to need leaders who are going to not be afraid to say, I might upset my base with this, but. Um, and, and you need both sides to realize that the first time around when Trump was elected, he was elected because there was a bunch of people from the Democratic Party in the middle who was unhappy with where the direction they were going and slid over. The Republicans need to realize that while they have this massive Trump-loving base, Biden won because those people in the middle who couldn't stomach the, the far-right Trumpers slid over to him. So I know, uh, and this is something a lot of young people don't like to hear, that we need to move a little more towards the middle. Um, but we need to start doing that to, to build the foundation back up again, build the bipartisanship, build the trust again, uh, and understand that it's okay to disagree on certain things, but those couple things you do disagree on don't define everything and isn't worth tearing everything down for. Yeah, I guess the way that I always like to frame it is you know, people may have different ideologies. Some people may believe in patriotism. Some people may believe in globalism. But I think above all else, we're all human beings. We all want the same thing. We all want to be happy. We all don't want to be sad. We all want great lives for our families. We want all these these little things in life, you know, these little moments that really make life a special place to be. So I think that in order to bring people into the middle, we need, really need to emphasize the sense of solidarity uh this sense of uh common purpose what we're really aiming for is all and the same uh and with that i think our discussion is coming to a close uh thank you guys for inspiring hopefully the youth and maybe some older people to change their perspective maybe to be a little bit more understanding to understand that maybe you know history is not just some dusty books that are sitting in the corner of our rooms but maybe to bring significant change you know history can be you know as uh mr had was saying just you know a simple analysis of the back in the day but history can also be uh, a statistical analysis like mr uh, passive was talking about so i think that it's really important to see history as a means of facilitating significant change in the present uh, and with that i will leave you guys Hopefully, you'll hear my outro after this. <laughs> See you. So, yes, just as promised, here I am in outro form. I hope you all can take great inspiration from these men that I had the chance to chat with. They not only encouraged my love of history, but more importantly taught me the importance of fighting for change, to meticulously and persistently advocate for what you believe in. Actually, I know how I want to end this off, with a quote. I think quotes, and honestly well-said words in general, strike through the nature of our being like little else. I think today I'll leave you with something to remind you of the power which not only my words from today hold, but your words. Yes, your words. 
as one of the most important philosophers in the history of the world, Friedrich Nietzsche said, All I need is a sheet of paper and something to write with, and then I can turn the world upside down. Think about that. Just like Mr. Paspa and Mr. Howard urged President Biden to do, I urge all of you to write, to inspire, to change the world. Thank you, and good night.